Perv. Slut. Wow! I hate myself. Perv. Slut. Don't make this fun! Perv. Slut. The Sexhibition. Perv. This is the Fleabag Research Project. I'm Yana Rankov, and I'll be your host. Oh, you got me. I don't carry a vagina around with me. <laughs> That'd be way too provocative. Wonderful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fleabag Research Project. I'm here today for, I think this is the eighth interview with my friend Ariadne Merriweather. Hello, Ariadne. Hi, Yana. Thanks so much for having me today. You're so welcome. Ariane, do you want to introduce yourself quickly? Say anything about yourself that is of note that you like about yourself? Sure. <laughs> sure. Gosh. Uh, I, well, I'm Ariadne. I'm a friend of Yana's. We met through the UBC Improv Club. Um, I'm a university student at UBC in the creative writing program, uh, focusing on screenwriting. Um, and I'm super happy to be here today. Wonderful. Thank you. So I'll start you off with... Uh, the first question that I ask pretty much everybody, and that is, how would you describe your relationship to the show? How many times have you th- seen it? And what did you think about it in like the consecutive watches that you've done? So I yeah. have seen uh, the first episode twice because I watched the pilot bef- and then I didn't continue with the rest of the series. Um, and and the rest of the, the other five episodes I've only seen once. And I watched them all consecutively, which was kind of cool. Um, it's very easy to do with this show. Uh, yeah, but so I've seen it essentially once all the way through and quite recently. How come you stopped after watching the first episode that one time? Interesting. Well, the story behind that is actually that um, <laughs> I... So my dad got Amazon Prime and came over and was like, why don't we try this new show, Fleabag? And it's not the most fun show to watch with a paternal figure. So it was like that evening, like I think we both enjoyed the show, but we didn't want to watch it together. And then, so from then on, like I was interested in watching more, but I, you know, the school year started, I got busy. Um, For sure, it is how it is, yeah. Yeah, it was very much, it wasn't so much like, oh, I don't like this, I'm not going to continue watching, but more a matter of circumstance uh so that would be why I've only I, I stopped after the pilot that first time makes a lot of sense um would you say that Fleabag was a unique show to you or that you thought it was you un- or did you think it was unique in any ways I I think it was quite unique in in some ways I think with the protagonist Fleabag you don't a lot of the time in in modern mainstream media and television see women who are very like outspoken and kind of blunt and and you don't see them in that sexually empowered in that specific way I think a lot of the time and I think also like there's a brashness to the protagonist that oftentimes is is dulled I think in female characters and female protagonists in order to make them more appealing or more relatable or softened so I think that's that's what struck me the most uh about the show and I also think there's there's kind of like a a a dark humor that's very it's very real it's very grounded but it's also I think there are parts of the humor like with things there are things that they're not afraid to talk about that the way that some other shows sort of censor themselves so what is something that you would say the humor allows them to talk about or what is something that the show does not shy away from I think the show, well, it doesn't shy away from kind of like the nuances of being a young woman and navigating romantic relationships or sexual relationships. 
My boyfriend before Harry used to make me send him pictures of my vagina wherever I was, 10 or 11 times a day. Also think, and this was something that probably hit home the most for me, is the show really doesn't shy away from uh, portraying the dysfunctional family dynamic. Um, I think it does it in a really kind of interesting, subtle at first, but building up to a, a lot more of an overt way. Mm. I'd agree with you. I like those aspects a lot as well. And, you know, there's a lot we can unpack with just the family aspect of it. And it kind of, I feel like the show begins, as you say, kind of you're like, oh, this will be about Fleabag's romantic entanglements. But it ends up being way more about her relationship with her family and how those two intersect in her life. This kind of goes off of what you said about watching it with your dad. What would you say the effect is of having the first scene be like a hookup where anal sex happens or where somebody has anal sex? I think, uh, so it is a really, it almost makes me think of like the first scene of Bridesmaids where it's like a really awkward kind of fumbling hookup. Um, I think I think it, it, it sort of foreshadows the nature of you know, her sexual exploration as the show goes forward. And I think also it just, it really establishes the show as one that's not afraid to go there and that's not afraid to be explicit about, you know, female sexual relationships and exploration. Yeah, I don't know. It packs a punch for sure. I agree. I I would see how that would be awkward to watch with your dad. You mentioned also in our preliminary talk that you don't necessarily relate to the main character, which, you know, other people on the podcast have said as well. So you're not alone in that opinion. Would you want to say why or kind of how you feel about Fleabag in general? Yeah, I think I, I, so to preface this, I know I said this to you right before the podcast began. Um, I, everybody was, you know, talking about Fleabag and how great it was. And oh my gosh, like, I, I, I feel like most of the people I talked to about it before I had seen it were like, it's so relatable. Like I've never seen a character I related to in this way. And then I watched it and I was like, I don't, I don't relate to her at all. And I think, I mean, right off the bat, we have very different sensibilities. Like I think she's so much more outgoing and also just comfortable with herself in weird situations and with creating weird situations. Whereas I, I think just even dispositionally, I, I, I find it really hard to relate to the way that she thinks and the way that she makes choices in the show. Like, I think in a lot of ways, and even with romance or with relationships, I'm much more reserved. I'm, I don't really, I don't go for things the way that she does. But, but more so than that, like, even about the way that she, you know, interacts with her family, um, I don't think that I have, like, one example, I guess, with the family dynamic is her uh, interacting with her stepmother and I'm, I'm like that's just such a weird thing where they both know they're being so fake and they're both being assholes to each other under the guise of like oh darling it's so nice to see you and I think I, I, I could never do that part of me questions um, Fleabag's empathy sometimes and I, I don't think that she's not empathetic but I also think that like she buries a lot of her feelings um, I mean especially with the reveal at the end about Boo and what happened with that um, I think that she's complicit with herself in a way that I'm not necessarily. I don't think that I would have as easy of a time going about my life, you know, having experienced the things that she has. But maybe that's also the point is that she's repressing so much. Um, mm. I don't know. Uh, when you said that you don't necessarily make choices the way that Fleabag makes choices, you just said a lot of interesting stuff and I took some notes. So I want to kind of go into more of what you said. 
How would you describe the choices she's making? What's her decision-making process as you see it that you find so different or contrarian? I think that she's, it's a lot easier for her to make spur of the moment decisions and to um, be confident with them. Or if, even if she's not confident, just be like, fuck it. I'm going to text this guy an explicit, you know, photo. And I don't, I'm not embarrassed if nothing happens or whatever. But for me, I think when I'm making choices, like whether or not it's just a, a, a life decision or an academic one or a romantic one, like I'm very much an overthinker. I weigh my options, you know, until it's almost like I'm going in circles at a certain point. Mm. And I think sometimes I don't, but I, I definitely have that tendency and I don't see that in, in Fleabag at all. And you mentioned that um, most people that you've talked about to about the show say that they relate to Fleabag so much and that's what draws them towards the show. I also think that that's the kind of general feeling about the show, that Fleabag is just a very unique and relatable character because of that. When you mentioned that Fleabag's empathy is necessary, not necessarily all there, um, do you mean in her interactions with the other characters? in the way she's able to carry forward with Boo or any other specific things that I might not be grasping? Even in things like when she's holding Hillary and she doesn't want to be close. I mean, I think that's more of an intimacy struggle than anything. And I think it's a really interesting <laughs> yeah. way that they're showing her struggle with empathy is through, or sorry, with intimacy is through a guinea pig. Um, I thought that was a really clever choice. But yeah, I, I think um, there are just certain things that she's a little bit more shameless about than I would be like even you know taking the sculpture from her stepmother mm. which is totally valid and I'm like glad that she does because her stepmother's you know kind of an asshole to her all the time but I think I think it's the boo thing that really trips me up so so at the end when you find out that it's her and I fucked my friend my fucking her boyfriend she dies essentially because of it like I I think that's something that really kind of baffles me in a way because I, I think you know there's room obviously in all people to make mistakes and to make you know quick decisions and especially with Fleabag who at times seems to struggle with sex addiction it's like okay how much autonomy and control does she really have over situations like that and sometimes I wish I didn't even know that fucking existed and that I know that my body as it is now really is the only thing I have left and when that gets old and unfuckable I may as well just kill it but I don't know. I just I, there there are parts about her that just I I wonder. You know, I think it's a it's an interesting fine balance within her character of being self deprecating and hyper self aware, but at the same time being self sufficient and self serving. And somehow there isn't anything worse than someone who doesn't want to fuck me. No, I fuck everything. So that it just makes me think about her capacity for empathy. I don't know. And this is such a very nuanced take on her um, as like a very, very flawed character, which she definitely is. You seem to have seen through the humor that she puts up as a front very often to get to criticizing her like that. So when she does talk to you and, you know, does all her asides to the camera, how does that kind of correspond with what you're saying about her do you see her as masking her real motivations is this informing what you're saying is, am I making myself clear I mean it's definitely right off the bat a fun gag and I think a very useful tool for the show for her to break the fourth wall so much and have those asides and I think she she is very witty um but to me it 
it really comes off as a kind of a facade in a way because like I don't doubt that that's what she's like and that she has a humorous personality and that she is kind of charming in that regard but I also think in a way it's like a self-preservation thing you know like like this is what she does to you know there are situations where she'll say like oh this is about to happen and it could be something like a guy lets her down or her dad lets her down but she says it in such a funny way it's like you can see how that tactic of the asides to the audience is operating as something to cushion her feeling i was kind of discussing fleabag like this it comes up quite naturally for me to compare her to claire and to say would you relate to claire instead or how do you feel about claire and the both of them kind of existing together in the show that's a really good question because i definitely did feel when watching the show that i don't necessarily feel like i see myself mirrored in either of them but i think at the same time, I relate much more to Claire than I do to feed mm. uh, to Fleabag. Like I, I, I'm not really that anal type A, you know, to the point super rigid. I relate to her so much more. You know, I relate to her anxiety about her job and her constant, you know, feeling like she can't relax or she can't rest because she has so much to do. And I think even just the way that she goes about her interpersonal relationships, that she's, you know, goes about her weird marriage and you know thing with her stepson and whatever I think she she puts up with a lot and she puts a lot on herself even her like like planning her own Claire planning her own surprise birthday (laughs) and like I I understand what it's like to be like you know I'm just gonna do this because it's gonna stress me out if somebody else does you know what I mean like I don't think I ever would go that far and I think I'm a lot more relaxed than Claire is but there are parts of her that I can definitely relate to more than the other characters I understand the need to just be like, can I just do it myself? Because otherwise, who knows what will happen? You mentioned that the dysfunctional family is kind of your favorite part of the show or something you relate to. Why? What do you like about it? What, what's, what portrayal in it do you like? What makes it feel real to you or, some, or what makes you like it so much? Well, I don't even know necessarily if it's that I like it so much more, but more so just that it's the part of the show, interestingly enough, that I can relate to the most, that I can see my mm. own life experience in the most. Like, And it's interesting, too, because as a young er- woman in her early 20s, you know, it, it seems like, oh, I would relate to Fleabag's romantic endeavors or whatever a little bit more. But it's I really like seeing you know, realistic and nuanced and subtle portrayals of the dysfunctional family on TV and in media, because I think it's like, I mean, to an extent, every family has dysfunction, but I think if you come from one where, you know, if you come from a dysfunctional family, it's like you can relate to that when you see it on screen and you can like, it's less isolating in a way to know that like, you know, whether you have a different socioeconomic background, which I definitely do compared to Fleabag and her family, Um, or a different dynamic or different you know whatever makeup of the family that it is it's so I feel very seen by it much more so than I do by the character of Fleabag let's go into it then um I if you kind of want to turn an eye to the humor of it my my favorite comedic performance is Olivia Coleman as the godmother she's so funny and as a result of that Every time they all play off of each other, I think it's hilarious because they're all so fucking funny. So I just wanted to ask, do you like the humor of it as well? Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I do. I agree with you. I think Olivia Coleman's performance in Fleabag is 
my favorite because she's so good at being that, you know, manipulative. Yeah, she's superb at being the, you know, manipulative, really subtle, controlling, mind gamey character. I I do find their dynamic funny, but not, not in the way that you're laughing at them. I feel more like I'm laughing with them. How about you two? How did you two meet? Through our mother, actually. She used to be our godmother. Still am. <laughs> but then their parents split up. Mum died. Because I'm like, I've been there. Like, I can I can see, you know, not that it's, you know, person for person or whatever, but I can see elements and people and aspects of people in my family in that in the family portrayed, which is super interesting. Tell that about your promotion, Claire. There's nothing to tell. What promotion? Finland. Oh, odd place. Any news? No. She got it. <gasps> oh, fuck's sake. So I feel almost like I have a seat at the table. Like, oh yeah, I recognize this dynamic. I see what's going on here. Like I've seen this. Nice. Like I think for some people, maybe if their if their family life is a little bit more functional, it is kind of amusing in a more you know funny and voyeuristic way because it's like, oh, I've never been in that kind of situation. But isn't this crazy? Look at them interact. But for me, it's like these are archetypes that I've seen before, and it's it's fun and it's also kind of like it's yeah. cathartic in a way to see it play out on screen for somebody else who's quite different. Congratulations, Claire. Thank you. Clever girl. Can we not? That's so exciting. She's turning it down. Why? Why? Oh, why, why not? Why, Claire? Claire, are you pregnant? Why aren't you getting on a plane to your cold, rich future? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Why? Because you can't. Just fuck off on aeroplanes and leave your weird stepson and broken sister to fend for themselves, OK? Sure, it's very cathartic. That's a, that's great. Interesting analysis. So when you say that you like know these archetypes, that's actually one of my favorite things to ask about the show. Would you say you know these people, like anybody in specifically more than others? I know we're kind of only talking about the women right now, but you know, the men, are there any men in this show that you're like, I've met this guy? Interesting question. I uh, I feel like there are aspects of the men in the show who share aspects of men who I know in my life, but they're much more teased out in the show. Like, I feel like I've met, you know, Harry's, I've met bus rodents, but in a much more subtle way. Uh, and with the women as well, like, I, I think you are right to say that Fleabag is quite unique. I don't know if I know anyone really quite like her, but there are parts of her that are reminiscent of some of my friends, you know, like, I, I, like there are people who are more self-assured and, and, and who, you know, put up more of a front around their insecurity. There are people who are not afraid to speak their mind, not afraid to fuck with people on purpose. And, and the Claire's as well, I think I see myself in Claire more than anyone, but not a whole ton. And, oh gosh, the the stepmother. She's she's so wild. It, she makes me think of the matriarchs, and not my own mother at all, but like other matriarchs mm-hmm. in my own family. Um, obviously not to the same extent, but I think maybe one of the one of the driving kind of forces of the show is that there are like elements and aspects and traits of each character that at least someone can probably relate to in their life or can probably mm-hmm. recognize from their own life, whether or not it's like more than one character so you would also list olivia coleman as your favorite comedic performance of the show yeah i would i absolutely would i think i think she just she just does it so well you know it's not like she's it's unlike fleabag she's not like zipping off one-liners to the camera every five minutes but i think 
she's just so persuasive and and everybody knows that stereotype it's almost like a play on like the classic like cinderella evil stepmother but Mm -hmm. in such a like subversive modern way i love it so much i think she's stunning in this i agree with you also when fleabag introduces her which is i think dama pointed out the person i interviewed last um is that in the script phoebe waller bridge will say it says you know Fleabag says, she's not an evil stepmother. And so she kind of gives you the archetype. She inlays that in your mind as you're watching it. And then, you know, it's like saying, you know, don't think of an elephant. And naturally, those, those associations come out. So as somebody who's studying uh, creative writing and screenwriting in general, do you have anything to say on the script and how it's written or the writing that stood out to you? I think it's a really... You know, when you read a novel and it obviously... The, per, the point of view is clear right away, whether it's first person, whether it's third person point of view, whatever. I think in film and TV, a lot of the time it's harder to do that because in a way you're coming at it from an ex, a, objective or a subjective of, for the writer's point of view or director's or whatever. But I think it's so obviously first person, like she's narrating it. She's guiding us through her life, um, which I really like because I think a lot of the time I think I think what I what I admire in terms of the uniqueness of the writing is how seamless like the asides and the breaking the fourth wall how seamlessly they fit into the show and how they they move it forward and I guess this also comes from the fact that it was a one woman show before which I saw before I saw um the TV series and I actually really almost enjoyed it even more than the series because it's just so its own thing and it's so engrossing and it's like wow she's doing all this at once but I think I think the writing, so the first person, you know, breaking the fourth wall thing is one thing to examine. Another I think that I really like is the way that the characters interact with each other. And also, like, I don't know, I think it's it's not always a common thing to have the characters in such kind of bleak uh, positions in their lives. And it, like... When you think about it, because the show elapses over such a short amount of time, at least the first season does, um, it's not like they go through huge journeys or crazy monumental character arcs. And I think that's maybe why it makes it so relatable for people, because it's just like a week or a month or these months in this person's life. And there's nothing like that's crazily different, but we're invested enough in the characters that when these changes happen at the end of the season, minute or not, it keeps us interested. Nice. Well, thank you for your professional opinion, Ariadne. Much appreciated when it comes to the writing. Not yet. Not yet, my friend. (laughs) So if we kind of turn right now to what the show is about on a little bit of a deeper level, to me, it's about this woman who's reckoning and all these characters who are reckoning with this world where sexual power is everywhere. And I feel like in my adolescence and kind of, you know, coming into my like young womanhood, those are the lessons that I've learned and I've kind of learned how to conduct myself as somebody who's perpetually seen as a sex object. Like you really can't get away from your own body and your own physique and how you're perceived. It's impossible. It, it is what you are. So that's what the show is to me. It's to, would you say that that's accurate to how you view the show as well? I don't mean to guide your thoughts on it at all. I think it somewhat is. I think the way that I saw it, and maybe this goes back to me not so much relating to Fleabag, but relating to other dynamics that are expressed. And I think, you know, in a way, things are in the eye of the beholder. So obviously, like, I'm going to imbue it with whatever I, I relate to. Of course, to yeah. But I think, 
I saw the show. It was it's it's really um, kind of multifaceted in a way because yeah, for sure, it's definitely about sexual power and power dynamics. And I think, but I also saw it as using you know sexual and romantic relationships as a vehicle to examine like the deeper repression and burdens in people. You know whether or not it comes down to that or whether that's what's leading into mm. it. Oh, nice. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And I think also for the other characters as well, like a lot is explored. I think their sexual behavior is indicative of things that are much further below the surface of their character. Like even if you look at Martin and his weird, inappropriate, like sexual advances. He's one of those men who is explosively sexually inappropriate with everyone, but makes you feel bad if you take offense because he was just being fun. Honestly. You can tell him you're going to pop to the loo, and he'll say, Yes, you pop to the loo, pull down your knickers, and then I will come in and fuck you. <laughs> it's like, okay, clearly there's shit going on with this guy, but what is yeah. it? You know, that's the vehicle with which we can see deeper into their character flaws. That's how I saw it. Let's let's talk about the men in the show, not to waste too much breath on them, but I <laughs> really like... Um, I. The my friends or the people that I've interviewed have had like just the best reactions to the men. Like some of them have been like, "Fuck this guy!" Like off the bat, one of my friends has been like, "Fuck all of them!" Wonderful. Um, I don't know. How would you say you feel about the men in the show? Because there's such a divide to how the women are portrayed and how the men are portrayed. To me, at least, like the fact that we haven't really mentioned them kind of says a lot because they're so almost peripheral. They're so their own thing, and I think what she's doing with the men in the show is really interesting. Going back to archetypes, I think each one kind of serves to subvert in a way, but also to fulfill a different sort of male archetype that a lot of us as young women and as women in general are familiar with. It's interesting too, because a lot of them don't really feel that redeemable at first. And you could almost say the mm. same thing about the women as well in a different way. Oh gosh, what can I say about them? They're so, I mean... <laughs> Some of them are just, you know, like like you think about Martin, who it's like at first it's like, okay, she has this very like buddy buddy relationship with her sister's husband. That's like, you know, the classic, the classic brother in law, whatever. And then, but you get weird vibes from him right off the beginning when he's like hiding his laptop. My wife in my study. Hello, give me two. Gang bangs, Asian. I put a tenor on it. I also just hate when people say my wife or the wife or like oh, what am I going to buy the wife for her birthday? Like, I just... Exactly. Ugh, you have to designate them the relationship and not the person. Like, you're like, this is yeah. the wife. Oh, God. it's I find it so gross. It makes me think of men who call women females and, like, say, like, oh, when females do this. Like, ugh, fuck off, man. <laughs> um, but I think... So I think Martin is interested me. He was one of the most interesting ones to me, and I think it's because he clearly is so entangled in his own like issues and we don't actually know that much about him other than that he's married to Claire and that he's makes sexually inappropriate comments that people laugh at because he'll make them feel bad. Can I talk to you about something? Oh, well, it must be my lucky day. You said she only likes to talk to people she fancies. <laughs> <laughs> which is another thing which is so real, you know, like when a man says something that's totally inappropriate and then you feel almost like this assumed guilt of, you know, calling them out for it. I think, um, and you mentioned the bank, the, sorry, the bank manager earlier too. 
think he's um he almost is kind of an interesting medium between some of the more polarizing characters like Martin and like the asshole guy. Look, I'm uh, sorry about the nets. No problem. Just appreciate it with that. Mm. And um, the softer ones like Harry, who is honestly, I find him quite a bit more likable, but it's interesting that in this show, and I don't know if she's doing this on purpose, Harry is stripped of his some of his conventional masculinity and emasculated so that he can be more likable and what does that say about masculinity and men in general i admire how much harry commits to our breakups a few times he's even cleaned the whole flat (laughs) keep talking about what you're talking about but i would love to come back to that yeah no i i i don't i was that was kind of tangential i don't know exactly where i was going we'll Um, find we'll find it together (laughs) we'll find it together the men are just so I feel like it's very cool because they're all kind of serving a purpose in how we can view her interactions with the world and how we can view her interactions with them and I but I think also like as a young woman who has you know dealt with men whether or not in good or bad capacity whether you want to or not uh, (laughs) whether we want to or not I think it's, it's, the bottom line is I think it's so gratifying to see them portrayed in such a human and flawed way, because as a woman living under a patriarchal society, uh, I think being able to see their flaws and to have them portrayed to the audience as, um, you know, so imperfect and so ingrained in their own shit is really gratifying because it's like so often it's like, just suck it up. Men are men whatever but to like delve into that and to to you know provide some context is really as a woman it feels like long overdue in tv I like how archetypal they are as well like they're fresh archetypes you know they're but they they feel like people I've interacted with you know and this is one of them isn't like the prince or anything like that but these like different tiers of dudes and how she balances them and interacts with them um, one of my favorite I, I just I find asshole guy so funny I find him hilarious I find the way that Fleabag handles him hilarious I love that she (laughs) indulges him for her own gain and she's clearly so much smarter than him I just I just find all of their interactions so funny specifically when he like gets out of the bath and like maintains eye contact that character is so funny because you can see that he takes himself so seriously like in his interactions in the bath when it's like what do you want to talk about when he's like it's like such an engineered conversation and even when like even if you look at like the decor in his apartment and you're like this guy you know like this guy he's on to it he thinks he understands the world and he's so fatally is just such a like little man you know such a little man I find him hilarious um back to Harry and what you said about him about how he if would you say the word emasculated describes what you said about him earlier that he gets quite emasculated yeah. by the show mm-hmm. yeah. I agree with you we see him scrubbing things down we see him clean like he cries he takes a shower you know he cries in the shower like all of these like he's trying to fix the relationship like all of these like classically female things are kind of piled onto him but we but it does make us laugh at him more I don't know what, what do we make of that where does that leave us if we're like this guy's funny because he's feminine mm-hmm. I think well, I think it's so interesting that he has to be 
emasculated in order for us to be like, oh yeah, we like this. I mean, not obviously this isn't the case with all men, but like within the show and in the canon of men who are in the show, it's the one who is stereotypically emasculated the most, who we empathize with the most, you know, who we cut the most sympathy out for. Um, like even there's the the scene in the final episode where he's at Olivia Coleman's um, art show and like, he's literally dismembered. If you look at the like plaster sculpture, of yeah, him, he's, such neutered. he's neutered. It's like a Ken doll. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So funny. Um, so funny. And so knowing funny. that the godmother made that statue kills me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. I think it's so funny too that he like, aside from any deeper meaning of the show, just the idea that like the character just let her do that and stood in the garden while it dried is so funny to me. And I think it's also very interesting with the dynamic between his relationship with Fleabag at the end. It's like it almost is is turning the idea of like masculinity and femininity and those associations within relationships of like the girlfriend that is so attached and clingy and like wants the guy back or whatever it's like it subverts that it it you know inverts them and then at the end though he kind of gets the last laugh because he has this new girlfriend and fleabags like just been ditched by asshole guy and I think it 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 provides a really interesting commentary on relationships that we don't so see so often in more stereotypical depictions. Mm. Uh, so you said that you empathize, maybe not empathize with Harry, but you feel sorry for him, or you have some empathy. Is that the right word that you empathize with Harry, or feel bad for him at least? I think the fact that yeah, I think it, I I think I, I was maybe quick to say empathize. Sympathize is more like it, but I think sympathize. What I that's meant what I was looking for. I was messing up on mm-hmm. that. Sympathize, no, not empathize. No, yeah. I I did say the word empathize, but I think what I was the context that I was saying empathize in is out of all of the men in the show, the only one who I could even mm. imagine empathizing with is Harry because the rest are just so men. <laughs> I. I also have a lot of sympathy for Harry, but a lot of the people I've talked to have been like, nope, like, don't give a fuck, which is great. Interesting, just if anything, right? But yeah, I I definitely think that he's a glimpse into Fleabag's life and kind of before anything went down because he clearly knew Boo. He says in the beginning, you know, I've been with you through all of this. And it's just sad to be like, ugh, like... I wonder, I don't know what their relationship was like beforehand. I'm sure it wasn't great, but, you know, she just kind of treats this guy really badly. And as a result of that, you say that Fleabag has power over Harry in a way she perhaps doesn't over the other men in the show. Or where would you kind of, if you want to discuss the power dynamics a little bit, where would you put Harry and the other men on that scale? I think, yeah, I think I would say when looking at all the other men in the show, maybe it's even reflective of Fleabag's power struggles with the other men that she exerts this sort of power over Harry inadvertently or not um but Mm. I think because he's so whipped (laughs) um and he's also just clearly a very nice guy and like not to say the nice guy stereotype because any self-proclaimed nice guy is you know that's going to be trouble but Harry is a nice guy and I think that because she's not used to that and she's used to interacting with more difficult masculine personalities like even if we go back to her father I think she she kind of has the tools and and she's used to having to have you know 
power struggles with the men in her life, but because Harry is so amenable to things and so nice, it's like it overwhelms him almost. And I think she knows what she's doing too, you know, when she says like, he, he'll always come back for the dinosaur. Like, I, I don't have to worry about actually breaking his heart because we'll just get back together and whatever. And I think I wouldn't go as far to say as he's like a pawn to her or anything, because I think that he definitely has his own autonomy as well. Clearly they've had their own relationship, but yeah, I think she is able to exert power over Harry in a way that she perhaps can't with the other men in the show, but maybe would like to. Even like sexually, like she has her own kind of separate sex life, even though in their relationship, even if she's not sleeping with other people, like their sex lives aren't necessarily like, she's not reliant on him for any of that. It's just the like, the security of it that she takes advantage of, which, you know, I find that as one of her more unsympathetic traits very understandable quite unsympathetic oh yeah this is kind of a more general question unless you wanted to add anything on about the men um are there there parts of the show are you comfortable watching the show at all times are there part of the shows that make you uncomfortable is there anything you disliked witnessing so there are definitely parts of the show that are uncomfortable to watch but i think what she's doing with those parts is very intentional. I think the point, at least for women who can sort of relate to, you know, being a woman in her 20s and and going through these experiences, is the point is that when you watch them, it's something that's relatable and that's what makes it so uncomfortable. Like when Fleabag's having like really uncomfortable sexual moments with the asshole guy and he's like being condescending to her about her body during sex which is so fucking just funny in principle but also sad because it's like yeah um I think happens this goes down yeah yeah I think I think the the beauty of it almost is that sitting in that discomfort it's like you that those are moments of real empathy with the character through experience because it's like most young women know what that's like or they can at least have experiences that they can draw parallels with and it's so Mm. uncomfortable because it's like this is such a reality for so many of us and it's uncomfortable to sit with and it's uncomfortable to see it portrayed on screen but also that's I think the point because like it's it's getting us to confront that almost within ourselves I mean other parts of the show that are uncomfortable obviously go back to the dynamic of her family and like one of the things that I always find super uncomfortable to watch is how is the discomfort that her dad feels. Like, like you know, there's that aside that she makes to the camera. He hates being alone in a room with me. What's this? Hi, Dad. Oh, oh, uh, oh, uh, uh, um, I, I just need some, uh, just what do you need? need some uh, salt. I think it's so interesting and it's also so heartbreaking because it's like, he, for whatever reason, I think, I think the sort of one of the, allu- or the, the, the inferences we can take is that he, she reminds, uh, to oversimplify, she reminds her father of, you know, her mother, his ex-wife, whatever. Um, but I think there are moments with the family that are super uncomfortable to watch. But again, it's not uncomfortable because it's poorly done or because it's not tasteful. I think it's uncomfortable because it's making a point of how those things land in real life. Even with Claire, even with the stepmother and all of the conversations around the statue and like everything behind, you know, the subtext of that. It's a very roundabout way of me saying, yeah, there are things, a lot of things in the show that are super uncomfortable to watch, but I think it's intentional. My my understanding is that it's done intentionally. So when you said all the subtext and you mentioned the statue, what did you mean by that? Because I'd love to talk about the statue. The statue is one of my favorite 
things to talk about. Mm-hmm. I should have said the confrontations, you know, between Fleabag and the stepmother and vice versa. And then Claire and Martin when it's given as a gift. I think it's really interesting how much um, deceit goes on around the statue. And it's also it's also interesting when you think about it that it's like a female, you know, torso and how that is sort of like driving these different centers of conflict and you could you could analogize it with the character of Fleabag and the rest of the show and how she is interwoven in all the characters lives and I think it's it's funny when like god Olivia Coleman just she kills me she's so good at what she does but like there are those moments where she's like oh the statue came up again and, and yeah. Fleabag sits with it and she's like yeah that's great good for you yeah, that's crazy yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Powerful. Truly. Powerful and terrifying. Um, I like what you said about the statue that you can analogize it as Phoebe Waller-Bridge's body kind of, um, or Fleabag's body, and how she's wrapped up in all these relationships and how many times it changes hand, I think is very interesting. And I haven't necessarily like pointed out the deceit of it, but I agree with you. There's a lot of deceit. There's a lot of like... One can almost say like a lack of consent with what happens to the statue. Mm-hmm. That, I don't know, I'm writing this down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, there's, yeah. Not really much, there's not really like, yeah, it gets stolen and then it gets kind of repurposed and then it gets stolen again. And, you know, there's not really much. And then, of course, it becomes a power move at this exhibition when Olivia, when the godmother says, you know, a woman robbed my most powerful piece yet. Which is hilarious. Yeah. And that's also where Fleabag drops all the champagne at the end when she makes the I scene like right kind of where the stair. I know. And the mm-hmm. shot is super gorgeous that that happens in. Yeah. I love that moment so much. Yeah. I think it's like if you look even just at the arc between Olivia Coleman and between Fleabag, I should call her the stepmother. I just keep calling her Olivia Coleman. That's all right. So, anyway, like if you look at just everything else considered like just their arc throughout the series it's I love that the culmination is her dropping like the champagne but also in a way it's like dropping everything that the stepmother imposes on her because she's so like she's such a dick to her you know she all and there's there are those moments too like when she's at the dinner table with or the whatever they're having the memorial lunch with the asshole guy. You know, and I can say this because I'm an artist, but you really are very good looking. Thank you. Very. Thank you. Very. Thank you. I mean, almost too good looking. <laughs> Obviously, the implication there is how? Why are you with Fleabag? Um, like she's just she's like imposing so much judgment on her and and so many like I don't know contrived ideas of Fleabag and it's like her dropping the champagne in a way is almost just like fuck you and everything that you're making me do like you're literally making me be a stupid caterer at this event that I thought I was going to be a guest at for your own you know benefit and I'm fuck that I just I love that part at the end I think that's one of the more sympathetic moments with Fleabag as well yeah. Why would you why do you think that the godmother treats Fleabag like that? Well, I wonder thinking about it now, I think about how her father sort of 
talks a lot about how Fleabag is reminiscent of her mother. And clearly there's contention there between the stepmother and the mother. They knew each other. She used to be the godmother. So I think if the father can see elements of the mother in Fleabag, probably so can Olivia Coleman. And I think she's also maybe intimidated by how unfazed for the most part Fleabag is by her provocation like she provokes her so much like in front of everyone in her really roundabout kind of condescending fake way and I think I think she she the more she provokes and the more Fleabag resists and doesn't buy in the more she like feels you know the desire to fuck with her even more but I think so I think it's a combination of that of of just piggybacking on kind of the rest of the world telling Fleabag that she's not good enough, that she's, you know, in this desolate situation, how's she going to get out? And I think, yeah, she is threatened probably by how she's reminiscent of her mother and that, and, and clearly her husband still has feelings about that. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of complicating factors in that relationship. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. It's just a lot of turmoil that comes out in these delicious ways. Mwah. So delicious. so delicious so delicious that's such a great way to describe yeah. it <laughs> i also i also like like what you said about her dropping all the champagne is her dropping the pretense and being like what are you gonna do about it now that it's out like in front of all of these people it's a good moment when she does that you feel very like you feel for her when she drops the whole tray and then takes a drink Ugh, we love it when she does that we love it when she does we love that. it we love it so much one of the questions that i that was written in the preliminary document I was thinking about was about whether or not I view Fleabag as a high or low status character oh yeah let's talk about that I because I don't I don't think really that any character is entirely one or entirely the other and I'm sure that most people would agree with that it's interesting because I think her status changes depending on who she's with and depending Mm -hmm. on the relationship that's being explored but fundamentally I don't see her as a high status character, which I, you know, I wish I did because I, I, I kind of want to, and I, and she's the protagonist and she drives mm-hmm. the show. And I think she definitely has her moments of empowerment and is, you know, like what we were just talking about, about her dropping the champagne, the champagne. But I think for a lot of the show, I see her as, you know, very confident and very reminiscent of a high status character. And she has these traits of being forward and being funny and making asides to the character and asserting herself in these different ways. But I think I I can't shake seeing it as a facade for her deeper conflicts and how I think that she uses high status tactics to move through the world as somebody who feels about herself lower status. I think that's a really fair way of looking at it. So you would say that she feels that she herself is lower status. I don't, I mean, obviously I can't see inside this fictional character's mind, but I think that she clearly has a lot of repression and a lot of conflict that I don't think she addresses in the most overt way. And so I think that like, it's almost a coping mechanism for her to go through the world the way that she does while she's carrying all this baggage. I think that the fact that she doesn't really address her feelings openly, like, I mean, there is that scene at the end that's super powerful with the banker and her, you know, talking about sometimes all she feels like is a body and what happens when she gets old? Like, is she just going to die? What is she really good for? 
I think that moments of vulnerability almost elevate her status because she's confronting everything that she's been carrying the whole show. Um, But I think because she has so much that often just stays below the surface, I think it hinders her from being truly high status and empowered and, and, you know, generous of spirit and, and whatever. Yes. What would you say she's repressing? You keep bringing up that she's repressing things, that those things are haunting her. What What do you see as being those issues? I think the most obvious one is the death of Boo. Um, because, I mean, and she's she gets flashbacks throughout the entire show about, you know, their moments together. And then, you know, coupled with that, we get a lot of like contemplative moments of her thinking about those. So I think that's a big component of her repression. And I think it also ties into her, you know, what we can maybe assume is somewhat sex addiction, because that those are the circumstances that led her to hook up with her best friend's boyfriend. And that's what led her best friend to inadvertently commit suicide, or accidentally, I guess I should say. Um, So I think she has a lot of guilt repressed around that event. And I think that she I don't get the impression that she's dealt with it based on how many flashbacks she has and 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 how she dispositionally as a character doesn't seem like she's all that different than she is in the flashbacks before the transformative event. Mm. Um, I feel like and I know it's only the first season, but I feel like until she can go through more of an arc and more healing, because really a lot of the show is about healing as well in different ways. I think that her status is hindered by that. What a like well-rounded analysis. Thank you. Like what a meaty way to look at that. I like what you said about her vulnerability elevating her status, but she keeps herself from being vulnerable the entire time. She's so funny. You know, she won't the entire time you feel like you're in on it, but you have no idea what's going on with her. Like the entire first season until the last like 10 minutes, you have no idea that she is in fact the one who slept with Boo's boyfriend. And that's why. She did what she did. Interesting that you would say that it comes from a sex addiction, that that's why she did it. I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a guess because I don't actually know, mm-hmm. but I get the impression based on how much she thinks about sex and and the fact that that's alluded to in the show. Um, and, you know, even in her final like kind of monologue when she's talking to the bank manager about how she can't get it off her mind and she feels like that's all she's good for. I wonder if that's what drove her to do such a thing, especially because she and Boo were so close, especially because they were like the best of friends, I, I can't help but wonder if it was, you know, something like addiction that compelled her in that direction, something that's a little bit further out of her control, because I just, I can't see her doing it and being complicit with that and being okay with it in the moment, you know, unless mm-hmm. we go back to the question of empathy and unless, unless she is fundally, like fundamentally lacking empathy or has some sort of lapse of judgment, I just feel like there has to be another reason why if she is to be a forgivable and redeemable character i i really am interested in this take that you have take is such a dumb word it's so overused but in your opinion that she is a character who doesn't experience a lot of empathy or doesn't empathize a lot because um i find that the first season is sort of setting you up to understand why she slept with Boo's boyfriend and why she did what she did does that not come across for you are you still not a dumb way of phrasing it. Are you still confused? But it doesn't seem to be answering that question for you. It doesn't seem to be making that connection for you. Do you mean about like why mm-hmm. she did that? Maybe it's just that I ought to have a second viewing of it. But I think 
you know, she, I, I don't think that she's not empathetic. I think she has a lot of care in a lot of different ways, but I think there are certain moments that just feel confusing like why why is she doing that you know in in, there there's some parts of her that are enigmatic and that are hard to understand it's hard to understand her motivation some of the time and I think maybe part of that comes from me fundamentally not really relating to her as a character but yeah I feel like there's still parts of of that character that I don't get you know fundamentally yeah Nice. This is exactly what I'm after, Ariadne, like getting like responses about how the show and stuff. So thank you so much for being honest and sharing so much and like giving so much detail when I inquire. You're so good at answering the questions I pose. I am trying to cut down on how long winded I am when I do pose those questions because I end up making them like four part questions. So thank you. Thanks for all of that. Um, would you say that the relationship between Boo and Fleabag is like a realistic female friendship or something that you relate to or see in your own life? I think so. Um, I I definitely think that it is. And I think that we don't, it's not like we see a whole lot of it. Most of the scenes as they are kind of, you know, post-traumatic flashbacks are quite short, but I think we get enough insight to see that, yeah, it is a realistic female friendship and they are, they do really care for each other and they are really kind of each other's like wingman in a way, like not in in the Mm. dating sense, but just they're there for each other. They have each other's back. I think it's quite realistic. I think, and I think even having at the end, the, the part about, you know, her being the one who betrayed Boo in that way is really, um, it's really interesting because it is something that people come up against sometimes. It's like how the politics of men, like and mutual male friends or interests or whatever can sometimes compromise female relationships and like whether or not they're allowed to or whether or not people override it it's just I don't know it's super interesting to me yeah whether or not it's allowed to happen what are the circumstances between that happening it's rough to think that like she has one sexual transgression she sleeps with her best friend's boyfriend it just like throws her entire life out of whack like that must mess with her as a character so much like you know as you and I both are very close female friends, I couldn't imagine like the kind of headspace you have to be in to do that to someone and for that, you know, and to kind of to spiral into the situation she finds herself in nightmarish, absolutely nightmarish. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how many ramifications, you know, she faces as soon as that happens. And it's like, and then it's like, what is that saying about female, you know, sexual exploration and deviance, you know, like, like, is it, she's being punished for this one thing. And in a way you could say rightly so, because it was a betrayal. But at the same time, it's like, look at all the hoops she has to jump through now that this one thing has happened. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a, that's actually an interesting avenue to go down, you know, saying is Fleabag being punished for what happened to her. I think she punishes herself, man. I think she just goes through like a series of self-flagellations. I don't know if you would see it like that as well. No, I I definitely think that she does. And I think she does knowing what she's doing as well. But I think there's almost kind of like, to use the word catharsis again, like for her, it's probably like, look what I'm doing. I'm doing this to myself again. And it sucks. But it's also like, there's something that people, I think there's something that people revel in with, with self-punishment sometimes, which is really interesting, you know? I think it's the control of it. Like, at least you're doing it to yourself. Yeah, you know, you're the one totally. doing it. 
Yeah. And there are so many aspects in her life that she can't control. You know, she can't control that she can't pay for the cafe. She can't control that her stepmom is so mean to her. She can't control her dad's distance. She can't control, you know, her relationship with her sister and with all of these other men. But she can control how she interacts with herself. Yeah. What you bringing up control is super relevant. Yeah. Man, it's like that Janet Jackson song. This is a story about control. I've just been rewatching <laughs> Hustlers a lot, and that's the song the movie starts with. I which, haven't if you seen haven't, it, but I've been, oh, I think you'd like it so much. I love that movie. <laughs> I, I've been like kind of wanting to. I just, for whatever reason, I have. I mean, part of the reason is because I'm busy a lot of the time, but I haven't. There, I, I need to make a watch list again. <laughs> I feel like sometimes the stars haven't aligned for a certain piece of media, and that's that on that. Um, we're at the one hour mark. So is there anything else you'd want to share or talk about if, for the show? Anything I haven't asked you or anything you'd want to bring up? Um, I feel like we've covered a lot. Thank you so much for interviewing me in such an eloquent and cool way. I'm so oh, honored to be here. I'm glad. I'm glad you think of it that way. I So this is like, I'm pretty far down the line in these interviews. Earlier, I fumbled a lot more. I think I've got kind of more of a grasp on how to conduct them. So you're getting like a more a VIP experience, if you will. But if you were like the second person I'd interviewed, it was a lot of me going, uh, so where's the, you know, thank you though. Thank you for watching the show. Did you enjoy the show? Did you have a good time watching it? I did. It was interesting because I think, I think the more you've heard about a show, it'll color your expectations. So like, because I had heard so much about it, it was like, whoa, this is going to be really amazing. And I did really enjoy it. But I think this comes back to me not relating to her so much I think I I enjoyed it a lot but it wasn't like my favorite female driven show that I've ever seen you know which is super interesting fair dude it's that's the nice thing about having more than one female show Uh, a lot of the podcasts I listen to I can't quite source it to where it comes from but one of the guests they have on she always says you know it's okay that women make mediocre stuff they don't have to be exceptional women can just make okay things it doesn't have to be like the best thing ever it's true I mean yeah. when you think about how much mediocrity that men make it's like exactly it's, it's like just why does everything have to be like show. I obviously am a huge fan but I understand as well if it's like well this isn't the best thing I've ever seen and there's a lot I of do. like competition out there there's a lot of interesting other shows that I have female leads that are awesome so you know <laughs> shout yeah. out to those yeah. Shout out to those. <laughs> I did, yeah, no, I did definitely enjoy it. Um, I just, I don't know if I was like as stricken with it as some people are. Right. I would really like to hear what you have to say about the second season. And Bridget, who I also interviewed for the podcast, who used to be both of our oh. improv coach, she very much was like, the second season is so much better. So if that prompts would- you to maybe dive into that, I personally really like the second season as well. I like both seasons. But yeah, well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for letting me talk to you about it. Thank you so much for watching the show for me. It's interesting to have people who've only seen it once because I've had people on that I've like watched it a ton of times. People have watched it, rewatched it only for me. So thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. It's it's nice to be here. It's nice to chat. Nice to talk to you. Um, I will definitely look into (laughs) I'll look into the second season because of course I am interested. It ends on kind of a cliffhanger. How could I not have curiosity? So I'll let you know if I if I delve back into that, if I can find a moment of non-chaos in my yeah. life. <laughs> I guess to like timestamp this a little bit, because it is a recording, we're in September of mm-hmm. 2020. So we've been in like the pandemic for the past six months. Like it's been a weird, weird time. 
it's a weird time to be doing this and to be discussing like shows about sex and intimacy and friendship and to be like like (laughs) I'm outside of all of that yeah well it's interesting because all of those things have been so profoundly impacted by the pandemic and by like you know having to be at home all the time so it feels I feel so separate from it right now because I'm just like I don't know I've been wearing my pajamas all day I have (laughs) 